It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Chilling new original docu-series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Thursday edition previewing this weekend's game at Arizona State. Uh, 1.05 Pacific, 2.05 local time kick on Fox. Mark Helfrich will be calling this game, um, former Oregon head coach. Uh, and it'll be a game against a former Oregon offense coordinator, Kenny Dillingham. Um, a lot of talk about that. Eric, you wrote a story about just expecting everything that Gillingham could throw at you to expect it. We'll talk about that storyline here in a little bit. But um, from a practice injury standpoint, we say this every week, it feels like Oregon, uh, knock on wood, is pretty much healthy. Um, not There's not much to report. All the guys that were, were out at the end of the game against USC basically practiced, right? Like that, yeah, that's the gist of it. That's the gist of it. And, and we should note um, on Wednesday, Roderick Pleasant, who had filled in nicely at the very, very end of the USC game. I don't think we were able to spot him throughout practice. So that was the uh, that was the one that that I guess you could mark down as a, as an absence that was maybe somewhat significant. Keanu Hudson, who we noted on Tuesday, was not there, was, was there on Wednesday. And then. Um, Dan did follow up on the Andrew Boyle element here. Um, Andrew had showed up at practice on Tuesday. It was the first time we'd seen him in several months. Um, and, but Dan kind of indicated they don't expect he'll be available the rest of the year. And we should also note Andrew was not at practice on Wednesday. So, but yeah, overall, like this is as healthy as you could ask for. And I know I was after we wrote our practice report on Tuesday, but Elliot from the cover three podcast or cover two podcast, sorry, um, DM me and said, man, they're just, about as healthy as anybody in the country and i was like it's again we're knocking on wood here but for a team that's contending for all the things you're contending for you have to feel very fortunate that it's aside from no Whittington's season ending injury there's really not much else out there to talk about from a health perspective and part of that's because of like what casey rogers told us wednesday he got pretty honest about like the rotations that they do and you know everyone wants to play snaps but um Oregon knows they've just got a ton of depth and he credited their, you know, he, he said like, look, we all want to play a bunch of snaps, but we know we've got a lot of guys and it's beneficial for us from a health standpoint and from a conditioning standpoint uh, to play a lot of people. We see more defensive rotations than we see offensive rotations, but um, it, even on the offensive side of the football, it's just one guy that's hurt this season um, in Whittington. This let's start with uh, Eric's story about expect everything. Um, I, I feel like that's really like the one of the only storylines in this game that we've got because like ASU is so anemic offensively because of injuries, because you know up front along the offensive line, their quarterbacks hurt. Jaden Rashada was practicing this week, but Dillingham was kind of like, "Ah, eh, we're not going to throw him out there." Do we believe that? I don't know. Do, do we? I kind, of uh, I kind of do. I mean, he hasn't 
practiced very much for like two months and played in a game. So they, with the update, the most recent update was Dillingham on Wednesday said he's there in an emergency capacity basically, but they're not going to use him like as the starter or primary quarterback. I kind of believe that. It could be gamesmanship. I mean, Dan, it was kind of interesting because you, you, you hear Dan then earlier in the day at Oregon's media say like we expect to see him and then Kenny's like don't expect to see him. So maybe it is a little bit of just back and forth, but yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced he's the guy we'll see. I think it's going to be Trenton Borgay. I mean, he hasn't played in two months. Like the, his last game was September 9th, I believe. Uh, and he was injured and he hasn't practiced since. The big news was that he was returning to practice on Monday. So that's a good two months. That's a full two months of no football related activities um, other than rehabbing and getting back into shape. So uh, yeah, no, I'd be really surprised if I see him. Uh, it could certainly just be Kenny saying that and hoping that they catch Oregon off guard because that's what they're going to need to do to get a win in this game. Um, but, yeah, Dan came out there and said, you know, we're expecting to see him. Uh, I don't. So good for Dan on, on covering all angles of this game. But, uh, again, two months of no football activities at a quarterback, um, a true freshman, mind you, who – was fine in his in his only two games of playing. It's not like he was lighting the world up, and it's certainly not like he was as bad as what their quarterback situation has been before or since. Um, it's a lot to ask for, and if I'm Kenny Dillingham, like maybe I wait a week and get him in there. But you know, it's not like I need to risk anything at this point of the season. Um, but you know, we'll see on Saturday. That's certainly a storyline to watch. But um, I wouldn't expect to see him. Um, what do we expect off ASU offensively to Oregon defensively? Like, this is a team that struggles to move the football. Is it is it fair to to ask like, uh, repeat performance of what Utah did, where ASU had like a hundred yards, less than a yeah. hundred yards? That that doesn't seem fair, but like that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, where a no. bunch of turnovers. No, because the quarterback situation is slightly better. Part of that is that, and I don't want to pick on a guy who I think is their fourth string quarterback on a walk-on, but Jacob Conover, the Arizona yeah. State's quarterback who played in most of that game, he's just not good. He was 5 for 22 for like 40 yards and interception. Like it was one of the worst quarterback stat lines you'll see. So like that was kind of an extenuating circumstance game. But right. I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon's extremely dominant defensively in this game. I just wouldn't. I just don't think we should go into this game thinking – Assuming Borgay is actually healthy, which maybe is kind of up somewhat for debate because of he's also dealing. I mean, this team is so banged up at quarterback, but I'm, it's it's just a little bit different. That Conover, and you can go look and see what he did earlier in the season when he filled in it against Fresno State. I think too, like it was terrible. He's he's just not the Division One quarterback. And I mean, yeah. what I was gonna say was, is it fair to expect like two hundred? And multiple turnovers. That's what they did against Colorado and Stanford. Like 199 against Colorado, 222 against Stanford. Like that type of – don't focus more on the number, but more on just like they literally couldn't do anything. I think it's exactly. more reasonable to look at what happened last week against UCLA. Because UCLA and Oregon's defense are pretty similar, I would say, and especially in terms of just statistical – like statistics, like the, what they allow, uh, how they're built. Uh, UCLA's defensive line is really strong. Um, Matt talked about the ro defensive rotations on the D-line for Oregon, which is a clear indicator that they trust their defensive line, that there's enough talent there to, to rotate all these guys in and out. Uh, and, and Arizona State only had 250 yards total offense. And um, I think it's going to be a good look at what – Arizona State's going to bring to the table to, or not today, LOL, Saturday when they play um, because I think the injury situation is going to be relatively the same. Obviously, we just talked about Rashada, but it's probably like more than likely going to be Borgay um, with a lot of scataboo in the backfield. Some weird the swinging gate stuff, some weird running backs, tight ends who play quarterback, who can throw, who can run. Um, Elijah Badger getting quick hitters and hopefully getting gaining like five to six yards after the catch. Um, that's just probably what the offense is going to be because Oregon's going to play a lot of man. Um, like if you look at ASU's successful games like against Washington State or uh, Colorado or Cal or USC, like Oregon's played all of those teams and none of those defenses are any good. So I would hope 
that Arizona State is able to put up some decent amount of yardage on them. And they did. Uh, but UCLA is a good defense. And Utah's a great defense, but like we just talked through, their quarterback situation was completely inept. But this past week, I think, is more of a, a better indicator on what the what Oregon's defense is more likely to do against Arizona State's offense. And I guess just to a broader point, um, I, back to the point we we're kind of talking about the unexpected, Kenny Dillingham like came off the practice field yesterday and for this interview as an opening statement was we, uh, we just practiced a bunch of new stuff on offense, a bunch of new stuff on defense. Like my, my expectation is it's that, you know, the swinging gate stuff that works so well against UCLA that worked in part because UCLA just didn't go into the game expecting it. Oregon has the benefit of being like, okay, if they're going to run that a dozen times or whatever it was, right. like, we've got at least prepared for it. And we heard Popo and Casey Rogers both be kind of like, we haven't seen it necessarily, but like we understand what the concepts are and, and kind of like have a pretty good feel of what we would do to defend it. I'm going to guess we're going to see whatever else Kenny can think of to throw at you. I have no idea what that'll be. That's going to be kind of the, that's the part that's kind of, it gets you yeah, excited yeah. going into this one. Cause if you were just to say it's going to be Arizona state running, whatever Arizona state's run all season with the talent they have against Oregon's defense, like that's going to be not a very good game for the Sun Devils point blank. No. But if they get creative and throw some weird stuff at you, maybe the game is slightly more interesting, at least. And, um, you know, uh, I think Dan earlier in the week, or maybe it was, I can't remember when he said this, but something to the, uh, the effect that Dillingham is a game plan coach. And, like, I just think that's that's what you have to go into this game thinking about is whatever they've shown you on film in the past, they'll show you a lot of that. But there's going to be some other stuff they try to try to toss at you there that you, you aren't going to be prepared for. And it's on Oregon to to adjust on the fly to whatever that looks like. And that's, again, to me, that's probably the most, I've said a couple of times, the most exciting or interesting part of this whole matchup because on paper, these teams should not be competitive, but Dillingham is going to give them at least an opportunity to to find an advantage or two that wouldn't be there otherwise if it was just line up and have our really good players go up against your, your best. And those adjustments, like I think that's something that's made this Oregon team so good this year is – they're really good at adjusting on the fly, whether it be at halftime or whether it be after the first quarter, um, especially defensively. I, I think they do a really good job of, of in-game adjustments. And you're right. Like, what kind of crazy things does ASU throw out in that first quarter? And then you know, how quickly does it take to adjust for Oregon? Like, if, it, if it's a very quick adjustment just based off of, sheer overwhelming talent and athleticism we could see a game that gets out of hand really quick relatively very quickly um if it takes working some time it might be a case where it's a lot like utah where oregon is in control of the game and yet it's still not completely out of reach by halftime like i wouldn't surprise me if either of those outcomes play out in this game where oregon is just so good that they dominate and it's over by half or They've got to come out and put together a strong third quarter to, to separate, you know, fully from from ASU. Um, defensively, I I think this ASU defense is underrated. Like it's good. I agree. Like we don't. You look at the stats and you think, oh, they're just middle of the road in the Pac-12, and you know they don't do anything truly elite. But like they're putting up solid numbers when. Every week they basically have to go in knowing we we can't allow more than 17 points or 15 or 14 points because our offense is just so bad and they can't consistently score. They can't consistently drive the football field uh, to score. So they've got to play almost perfect every week. And I know like last week against UCLA, the Bruins themselves had QB issues and, and that factors into it. But like what they did down the Rose Bowl was was impressive. Um what they've done to hang with the USC offense. I know they lost that game. I know they gave up yards in that game, but like they gave themselves a chance. They've got guys in the front seven that are solid. I mean, they're not like all Americans, but they've got multiple guys up front that can make plays. And I just think this group's underrated. Washington. That was the one where it's really impressive. Yeah. They didn't give up an offensive touchdown in Seattle, mm -hmm. three field goals. And then there was the pick six, I think to seal it late. Like, 
that was one where I'm just kind of going like, what is going on here? Because that was kind of right off the heels of Oregon and Washington up in Seattle. And then the Sun Devils go out there and actually perform quite a bit better defensively. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you go back and, and watch, as I've done, kind of the highlight packages and as much as you can of that UCLA game. And you see a group that's really resilient up front. And Matt kind of touched on it there. That defensive line, I think, is clearly the strength of this defense. And UCLA, I know, was kind of hamstrung because they didn't really have a passing game. They're down a couple quarterbacks, too, last week. But they tried to just run power football around the goal line twice in that second quarter and just got stonewalled and came away with no points. And they had the ball, you know, in the red area both times. So, like, that's the kind of stuff you see and go, okay, like, this isn't a team that's folding late in the season. Like, they, mm-hmm. they come out there and um, we had Chris Cartman on the podcast uh, on Wednesday to kind of run through what he's seen there. He, he he agrees that that's the strength, not just probably of this defense, but of the of the entire team. And um, in, in the interior, they're really strong. Deshaun Mallory is a Michigan State transfer who he said is probably the MVP of the whole team this year with just how well he's played. Um, they've got several good edge players. Um, BJ Green and Prince uh, Dorba are, are guys who are both have six sacks this year. Dorba, he said, his, um, Cartman said, was questionable. So I don't know if we'll see him or not. He's got a, a shoulder injury, it sounded like, or an elbow injury. I forget one of those, some sort of upper arm injury. Um, but yeah, that's going to be the challenge for Oregon. Now, the flip side of that is that Utah ran for like 350 yards on these guys. And again, that game was just so wonky for a variety of reasons. We talked about the quarterback stuff and the kind of the momentum of that game just kind of started rolling and rolling and rolling. And Utah obviously extremely motivated coming off that Oregon loss to to prove that that was a fluke or that that wasn't their, you know, really their true identity as a defense or as a team. And, and that showed up on clearly on film there. But um, I think Oregon undoubtedly can run and have success against Arizona State. I think there's probably very few teams out West that really could pose too many problems. We've seen Oregon dominate the best defenses in this conference up front that they faced um, to date on the ground. So I'm not like coming into this going like, oh man, they're not going to run for a hundred yards. But I, I also think Arizona State's not a defensive front to take lightly. And it wouldn't surprise me in the least if similar to, to UCLA on a week ago, if Oregon and Dan is so aggressive on fourth downs, if there's going to be a scenario where, where they get stuffed up front and you're kind of going like, oh man, what's going on? This is disappointing. I'm just kind of warning you that that's a, a possible outcome here. Um, just based upon what we've seen from Arizona State the last couple of weeks and, and especially the last month or so, I'd say. Yeah, ASU's D coordinator, Brian Ward, has done a great job. Um, those three names that Eric mentioned, Green, Mallory, and Dorba, those are some dudes. I mean, if you watch the UCLA game, all three of those guys came up and made stops, uh, especially Mallory, that uh, Michigan State transfer. Um, that trio has, I think, 28 combined tackles for loss this season. Uh, with BJ Green leading the way with, I think, 11, either 11 or 11.5. It's going to be one of the better D-lines that Oregon faces this year. And it sounds strange because it's coming from a 3-7 and ASU program, but um, the defense is good. I mean, they're – I have this written down here. They're 77th in the country right now in scoring defense, allowing 27.4 points per game. If you take out that Utah game, they're allowing 25.4. They're a top 50 defense. It's pretty good for a seven-loss team, and you know that's exactly what we've seen against Washington, um, like somewhat against Colorado, holding them to twenty-four points, or excuse me, twenty-seven points, twenty-four to Cal. Like Cal's an explosive offense against bad competition. Um, you know, even Oklahoma State, a team that at one point, you know, like literally like last week was a top fifteen team nationally, held them to twenty-seven points. Like this is a good, solid defense. And they're pretty darn good against the rush, too. Um, they've shown some lapses. Like, USC was re- able to rush for almost, like, 200 yards. Um, I think, yeah, what was it? Fres- or, so California almost ran for 200 yards as well with Jay Knott. Like, there are some outliers there. But then you get to the their defense against Washington in that 15-7 to game. Washington ran the ball 13 times for 13 yards. It's pretty good. Uh, UCLA, like... They they actually ran the ball pretty well, but they got stonewalled, like Eric said, a couple times where on those fourth and shorts, third and shorts, where Carson Steele like wasn't even getting to the line of scrimmage. Like there was a lot of a lot of pushback from the defensive line. So I think that's certainly one of the position groups or matchups to watch in the game is just how Oregon's offensive line does against this ASU defensive line. Um, I think Oregon's D line has held up 
excuse me, O-line has held up really well this year. I think Braylon Trice got in there a good bit against Washington, and that might have been the only real lapse. Um, but they did well against Utah. They only had like one real mistake, and that was when the game was already over, like Oregon, uh, like a third and short. Um, I forgot who made the tackle, but just kind of bust through the line and stopped, stopped the running back short. But um, I think they've been good so far this season. But if you're ASU, like, you need that defensive line to be disruptive all game long. And try to throw Bonex off his rhythm, try to get in the backfield to limit Bucky Irving or Jordan James, and just try to disrupt the game because that's, again, like going back to running plays that Oregon has never seen before. Like they need to find other ways around the traditional, like let's just score more points than them or let's hold them to no points. They need to find ways to work around those two storylines to try to get a win, and the defensive line could certainly be one of them. Um, are we believers that this game could be just crazy funky because it's just hard to win in the desert, especially in November? Um, I mean, this is an Oregon team that last time they came here, which is 2019, uh, Oregon had, it was the last second to last week of the season. Oregon was ranked sixth in the country. They played a better ASU team, but they still weren't an elite and they were upset. Uh, same scenario a couple of years late, earlier in 2017. I don't think it was a, um, a November game, but again, Oregon was ranked and ASU was not, and they lost. Um, the last time Oregon won in Tempe was 2015. And yeah, that was something. I, Eric, I'm sure you, were, I oh, think yeah. you remember that one probably more than Jared. Um, that game was like triple overtime. Well, like you were like, <laughs> that's not that long well, ago. That's uh, it's like, it's like he was seven years old. <laughs> yeah, I was eighteen. You're eighteen. All right. Well, yeah, I, I remember that one. That was one. Excuse me, I almost swore. It was wild. It was a crazy game, right. and to, to that that to be the only win is indicative of how hard it is to play in, in the desert in November. Like, do we believe this is going to be a similar case where it's just funky things going to happen, crazy stuff? Oregon's going to be having to fight in the fourth quarter or is our confidence not to like tease what we're going to pick later here, but like, I don't know. I, I normally, I think yes, but this one, this I'm, I'm all in on this team being pretty special. And I think, I think we're going to get a a game that's going to be pretty well played by Oregon may not be their best game, but well played. Yeah. It's a, I mean, that certainly is in the back of my mind. I know it, it's gotten contentious on our message board about that 2019 game a little bit. Some guys posting about how that game could be indicative of, of what's going to happen on Saturday. And I like, it's certainly, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have to get into that. It's been fun. Message board, message board moderation is a, is a great thing. Um, but like, I, I, uh, I don't, ex- I, re- I really, I, I kind of similar to Matt. I, I can totally see the scenario, but then like you go back and think about that 19 team and think about who was on that Arizona state team. Their quarterback is one of Bonix's current other rivals to win the Heisman trophy. Um, Jaden Daniels at LSU at now at LSU. Um, they had Brandon Ayuk, who if you guys watch on Sundays is, I don't know, a pretty darn good NFL receiver. Certainly like a guy you want to have on your fantasy football team every now and then. Um, so like there's, there's, there was a lot of talent on that team that like Elijah Badger, like that guy's going to be a Sunday player. I think like, I, I'm very high on him. I think he's really talented. Um, Cameron Scadaboo is just wild to watch. I thought Jared, you asked a question to Dan and Dan was like, it's like watching somebody. It's like the, uh, what was it? The run pass punt competition out there. You don't know what he's going to do. Cause he's shown he can do all of that so far this year. Um, but he's probably not much of an NFL player. If we're being honest, like he's a really good college player for sure. Um, Trent Borgay is not an NFL player by any means. Like that's a guy who has, I think, one touchdown pass and six starts. So, sure, there's the possibility that it could get wonky, but like I, I would be surprised if this game is is very competitive throughout the second half. Now, it could get wild, and maybe Oregon plays its worst. But if like Oregon plays its best football, Arizona State's best football isn't isn't very close in my mind, and, and that's that's just genuinely kind of how I feel here is 
if Oregon can play clean and avoid penalties and avoid turnovers and not be sloppy in the red zone and finish these drives, a lot of the things that were frustrating to close the USC game that kind of stopped that from being as decisive of a final score as you would have liked, then I then I really do think this is a game where it's probably not going to be very competitive late. Yeah, I don't know why like people keep bringing up the 2019 game. Like it was four years ago. I don't. I mean, there's like six people left on the Oregon roster that were even on that roster. Um, then you know, one of them was Popo Amavai, and he didn't even travel. He didn't even play. Um, we asked him about. Learned he had, he had vertigo. Vert- he had vertigo that day, right? Um, yeah, I don't know why people bring it up. It's always difficult to win in the desert in, in November. Um, that's one of the traits of a true good Pac-12 team: is can you do that? And you know we'll we'll find out if Oregon does this Saturday, but you know, I wholeheartedly think that they will. I, I to compare this year's fighting Kenny Dillingham's to the 2019 Arizona State Sun Devils, like they're two different worlds, man. That Sun Devil team went eight and five. They won a bowl game. They had Jaden Daniels, Brandon Ayuk, like guys we already went over. Uh, former Patriot legend Jack Jones was one of their cornerbacks, like. I just feel like it's silly. It was four years ago. I mean, Justin Herbert and Johnny Johnson the third was like the best receiver on the team. Like, come on, this is a different world. It's entirely like. Excuse me. It's a career day for Johnny. He had like 200 yards in that game. Yeah, you know, like Mario Cristobal isn't taking over the offense this game. Like, I I think Oregon's going to be just fine. Um, and it's a 1 p.m. game, which makes me feel a lot better because, you know, if it were Pac-12 after dark. Like it was last week against USC. You know, things can get hairy, but it ain't happening. Less time for that crowd to get amped up, too, as Dan would like to say, amped up. Yeah. Can't drink all day unless you start in the morning, though. So it's very true. All right. Let's take a quick break. Um, When we come back, we'll dive into our game predictions. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Um, game picks are in. Um, we'll start offensive team prediction. Um, I'll go first. Uh, Oregon, I talked about ASU's defense and you know the numbers that they've been able to do this season, and they're improved and they're underrated, but I still think Oregon's offense is – going to outclass ASU defensively. Um, the average right now for the Pac-12 for or ASU's Pac-12 defense is um, 337 total yards um, allowed. Um, I think the high is like 533, I believe. Or 535 against USC. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think they're going to hit that. Um, but I am going to say Oregon's going to put up the second most yards allowed offensively, and they're going to hit 514 or more yards in this game. I think they're going to have a big day on the ground. Um, I think Bo Nix will be solid, but uh, they're going to roll up a bunch of yards in this one, over 500, so 514 or more. I'm focused more on the pass game, strangely, because if you do look at it, Arizona State's actually, I think, third in the Pac-12 in pass defense, and I was just looking at the other, quote-unquote, premier quarterbacks in the league and what they've done against Arizona State. Caleb Williams is the thrown for more yards than anybody this year, 322. Um, held Penix to 275. Like, it's impressive. Shador Sanders, 239. I think Cam Ward also threw for over 300 yards. But I think Oregon's going to set a new high watermark against a, this ASU defense and have 350 or more yards through the air. Um, I, in part because I, I, maybe I'm just overthinking it, but I, 
I think that Arizona State front's pretty good, and I think Oregon's going to yeah. look to throw. Um, and like, gosh, the pass offense looks really dynamic right now. And I, you know, I, the more we watch, the more we kind of get a sense of the personality of Will's defense, or sorry, offense, I should say. Will Stein likes to throw the football. Like last week, I predicted they would run for a ton of yards and both through for like over 400. I think they're going to have a good, I think they're going to throw the ball a lot in this game. I think that's going to be again a focal point, and in part because I think that secondary for Arizona State's not quite as good as its defensive front, and I think they'll want to lean into that a little bit. So I'm going 350 or more through the air for the Oregon offense. I've got a different one today. Oregon's team offense will commit five or fewer penalties. That's right. Ooh. We're doing it. We're we're going in. I'm going to actually put some genuine blind faith into Oregon's offense and not commit any penalties. <laughs> um, five or fewer would be the third or fewest amount that they've, uh, that they've had this season. They had two against Stanford and Portland state and then five against Washington. Um, Texas tech still reigns supreme 14 for 124. Yeah. Geez. Um, so it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great. And then obviously Southern California last week. So, um, this might be my boldest prediction yet. I hate to say it. Yeah. Uh, five like penalties it. is uh, is not a lot. So Oregon's going to have to really do well. And originally I wrote down six, but I said, eh, might as well be five. It sounds like a better number to hit. So they have to cut eight penalties from their game last week against Southern California. So good luck, Oregon's offensive line. Um, we're going to switch right over to I. To my player prediction, I'm with Eric. I think this is going to be a pass-heavy game. Uh, I've got Knicks with at least 385 yards passing, three passing touchdowns, and at least one on the ground. Jeez, make it hard on yourself. But Heisman Trophy. These are bold predictions, someone has told me. (laughs) That is the name of the segment. Um, Yeah, I'm focused in on – I also thought about doing a bow, but I figured you might snag it. So I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on Tez Johnson continuing this hot streak here. Um, I'm going more than 120 yards and a touchdown. That would be three straight games. I didn't want to do two touchdowns because to say he's going to have six touchdowns in three weeks, I know that's bold, but that feels like I'm just setting myself up for total failure. Um, so I'm going to go 120 yards through the air and at least one touchdown for, for Mr. Tez Johnson, who's – to Matt's point earlier, we're setting up – I think it's becoming more and more likely Oregon's going to have two 1,000-yard receivers this year, which I think you had the stat, Matt. It hasn't happened um, one other time. It happened once in 98. 98. Yeah. So I think we're going to – I think this game here is going to set it up to to, to get there. And, and this isn't a prediction, but more of just a, a side. I, I do think Troy Franklin's going to set the single-season um, receiving yardage record, and he'll pass Dylan Mitchell. He needs about, I think, 93 yards on Saturday. This is not part of the prediction, guys, but um, – I, I do think he'll probably finish with that, especially if, with me predicting over 350 area yards. So, uh, I'm sticking with passing stats. I'm not going Bonix. I'm also not going Tess Johnson. Um, as it's become clear by what Bo has said, by what Troy Franklin has said, and what Dan has said, like opponents are focusing a lot on Troy Franklin, and we're seeing Oregon having to adjust. We've seen that the last couple of weeks with more targets towards Tez. I'd be really curious to go back and look at like all the box scores and see how many targets Tez had in like the first, what, seven or eight games. And then go back and look at what he's had the last three and see which one is higher. It might be pretty close to being equal. Um, But I think the next, the next adjustment is defenses are going to start focusing on Tez and, still focus on Troy and that's going to lead to Gary Bryant. Um, last two games, he's had two catches uh, each um, that comes on the heels of three straight games without any catches. So I'm not going to predict a number of receptions by Gary Bryant, but I am going to say uh, he hits his second highest total receiving yards of the season. His highest is 100 uh week one against Portland state. I'm not going to say he's going to go over a hundred yards, but he's going to go 60 or more uh, in this game against ASU. 
Uh, all right, defensive team prediction. Um, we've said it before, ASU's offense is pretty anemic because of injuries and limitations and, and whatnot. They've got to get pretty creative. Um, I don't think Oregon holds them to what Utah did, and that's like under 100 yards of total offense. But I do think we're going to see a, a, a big number by Oregon here, and they're going to hold ASU under – 240 yards of total offense. Uh, it's going to be a hard day of sledding. Uh, they're they're going to punt a lot. I think Oregon's going to create a bunch of turnovers in this game. Um, ASU is going to go for it on fourth down a couple times when uh, it's a make or break moment, and Oregon's going to get stops. Um, I just think this defense is really good, and I'm buying into the fact that this is the best defense ASU will play it all season, and they won't be successful at all. It's really interesting looking at – I'm, I'm going to predict a turnover-related stat, but it's, I just wanted to point this out for those who haven't looked into it. Um, Arizona State's had uh, 16 turnovers lost this season. Do you guys know how many they lost against Fresno State? Nine. No, I'm eight. looking at it right now. But yeah. Eight. eight. <laughs> oh, so half of their turnovers lost were in one game in non-conference play. In, in conference games, they had been averaging about one loss per game. Um, I, I think Oregon's going to take it away. I'm not going to predict eight turnovers because that certainly won't happen. But um, I'm going to say it's going to be that the, they've only given up multiple turnovers two other times. It was against Southern Cal and against Cal. I think I think they're going to have a multi-turnover game. And I'm actually going to predict more than two. I'm going to go three. I'm going to make it tough on myself. Um, and part of that is I I think there's going to be a little bit of a little bit of try-hard syndrome here from the Sun Devils of like we really have to make it happen like. To be in this game, we've got to go for it. And that might lead to Borgay, who is accurate, is, I think, a pretty smart quarterback. But if you watch him, doesn't have a very strong arm. And he might try to put the ball in a couple of places that he's just not able to put it. And Oregon's secondary has some guys that are capable of taking it away. So I think there's going to be some of that. I think there could be a, four, a fumble or two. Um, but I, I'm going three or more turnovers for the Oregon defense here, which has been turning the ball over, or forcing turnovers, I should say, a little bit more frequently um, the last five or six games than they did certainly at the start of the season where that was something they just couldn't find a way to do. I had the same thing, you know, three-plus turnovers. I'm quickly doing some mental math here to figure out my next one. Okay, cool. Uh, my defensive team prediction, I've got – Oregon with four four or more sacks and seven or more tackles for loss. So Arizona State's offensive line is uh, banged up, to yes. put it lightly. They do not travel a lot of offensive linemen because they, they don't have them. Don't and obviously they're not traveling this week because they're at home. But it's just to say that they are a banged up unit that Oregon, I think, can take advantage of. The one problem I have with my own prediction is Kenny Dillingham is much smarter at football than I am. I know. Surprise. <laughs> and he'll probably like to get the ball out a little bit quicker so that Brandon Dorless and Jordan Birch and whoever's screaming off the edge, probably Evan Williams, doesn't get to Trenton Borgay because, as we've noted on this podcast, Trenton Borgay is a little banged up as well. So, I, I mean, that's the one thing I worry about this, but if – Trent Borges sits back there with time or one of these trick plays that Kenny Dillingham uh, figures out and tries to run against Oregon. If it doesn't go well, usually those result in a big old tackle for loss. So I'm predicting seven or more of those and four more sacks. All righty. Defensive player prediction. Um, I've been burned on this one like the last two weeks. So I'm just going to put it out there. I think Evan Williams is more than likely going to lead the team in tackles. And I have 10-plus tackles written down here, um, so I'll stick with that. Yeah. But it's 10-plus uh, is like – I wrote it 10, the numerical value 10, and then a plus sign, so it looks like a lot tackles. Um, it's going to be a lot of tackles just because Evan Williams is always around the ball. Um, I think his ability to fly east and west across the field gives him a severe advantage in this game because I think ASU is going to be um, – Eric just texted in our private chat trying to be sly. Uh, that would that's be exactly what I wrote. 10 plus tackle that's, of the game. That's exactly what I wrote. Oh, cool. That's funny. So we went back to back here. Yes, that's what I was trying to acknowledge. Yep. 
Yeah. You can come out and say it. It's fine. This is a nice public forum we have here. We're receptive to criticism and no nice additions. I, I get called out for being the interrupter. So I'm just trying I was trying to subtly put it out there without <laughs> being the interrupter. But I guess in doing so I've become the interrupter. Apologies. No, it's fine. I gave you the floor. Um yeah, ten plus tackles for Evan Williams. Uh, he's a tremendous player. I, I, I was just pointing out that I also wrote ten plus as you did, but you, I think, uh, uh, stole my thunder. So I don't get to, I don't get to do that one. Um, I'm going to lean back on an old favorite that we haven't seen come together yet in a minute, which is Kyrie Jackson forcing turnovers. This is a guy who had, mm -hmm. I think, two in the first three games of the season, and then has been quiet. Although, also part of the reason I'm thinking about this is. He had a tweet yesterday that kind of was like, don't throw my way or I'm going to take it away. So um, he's he seems dialed in on my prediction here. So I'm going with Kyrita to force his first turnover in two months, probably something like that. Seven or eight games. Like it's been a minute. So, um, yeah, I'll go Kyrie here with it with the turnover force. Uh, I'm playing into Jared's idea of a lot of sacks. I'm also playing into Eric's idea of an old name <laughs> making some plays. Um, Jordan Birch had three sacks over a two-game period, um, Hawaii and Colorado, and hasn't recorded any since. He was really close a couple times last week against Caleb Williams. Um, I think he gets his first sack since Colorado, um, which would give him four. Uh, I, I just think a lot of attention is going to go to Dorless. You look at um, – the production that Popo and Taki create up front, disrupting everything. And um, Birch is out there quite a bit. And ASU's offensive line is bad. And someone's got to get a sack. And I think with the attention on Dorless, Evan's going to, or Jordan's going to, Jordan's going to come out and get a sack for the fourth time this season. The sack stuff, I was just going to say, the sack stuff, I wanted to say it after Jared's too. Like, I, they do such a good job, Arizona State, recently of avoiding them because of racial stuff. But if Oregon, if they're just playing it straight up, Oregon should have. Yes. Like UCLA has incredible guys up front, and they only had two sacks in that game. If if they were to have just played that straight up, they would have gotten destroyed, and that's probably why they, Kenny Kenny had to get creative. I'm going to be really curious about that part here. Like, how do they negate that? Because if it is just our offensive line against Oregon's. For the, I'm speaking them for them, but if it's just Arizona State's offensive line and uh, Oregon's defensive line, this could get ugly in terms of what would happen up front, I think. All right, uh, game picks. Um, I've gone back and forth with this being a, a quote-unquote trap game. Um, I do think there's a chance we see maybe a slow start by Oregon in this one, but ultimately in the end – um, I trust that this team is is different than in years past of Oregon teams, even last year. Um, I just think the veteran leadership, the, the things that we've heard from this team of fighting complacency and like Bo after the USC game, and I can't remember who asked him the question, but like, he went deep onto, you know, his biggest fear with this team is complacency and everything that he does to make sure that doesn't happen. And, you know, the, the, the leadership that they've got from a coaching standpoint, from a player standpoint, you look at the games that Oregon has played and, and think like, what's their worst game that they've played this season? And you point to probably Cal and they still won that game 63 to 19. And outside of some fluky things happening, like uh, throwing an interception on the first play of the game, having a snap happen when no one was expecting it and, Cal picking up and picking it up and scoring a touchdown. Like even through all of that, they still played really, really well. Um, I just think this team's going to come out and we're going to get a performance. I don't want to say like perfect, like they did at, at Utah, but we're going to see something where they're, they're firing on all cylinders on both sides of the football. They don't make a ton of mistakes and they just, try and make ASU go down the field because they know they've got better talent. And it's going to lead to a 49-12 to 12 win by Oregon. I do think Dillingham goes a little crazy, tries two-point conversions, doesn't get them. Um, 
So I, I, I think Oregon covers. Um, the spread's like 23 and a half. I think it's going to be yet again another statement game for Oregon from a playoff perspective, also for Bo from a Heisman perspective. Um, and the defense is going to make a big jump again. They're going to put up some good numbers. Matt, before I go, can, can I ask you to read the season game pick scores, the standings? Because I, I want to highlight that we've actually done pretty well at this this year. Because I know our individual predictions were like a combined 14 for a million. But right. I, I want to I hide the fact that we've actually done okay at doing this. What, 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 what yeah, straight up, um, Eric and Jared are 9-0. and I'm 8-1. and And then against the spread, uh, Eric is – Five, two, and one. Uh, we didn't count the Portland State game. Um, and then I'm six, one, and one against the spread, and Jared is four and four against the spread. So we're doing pretty good. I just wanted to highlight that because we focus on the fact that we never get our, our those, the predictions right, but the game picks are doing okay. Um, yeah. I did go back and forth on this one on the cover, um, and I'm landing on it the smallest of margins covering. I have Oregon 44. 20. Um, I'm thinking we're going to have a little bit of late game action here with Dillingham dialing up some stuff late. And there's been numerous games this year where the opposition has scored a touchdown at the very, very end of the game to make the game look a little more competitive than it really was. We saw that even a bit last week, even though obviously USC was a little closer than some of the teams. But you go back and think about that Washington State game. They scored a late touchdown. Colorado scores at the very, very end of that game to, to, to kind of make it look a little bit more interesting than it was. I think that's what we're going to see here. I think this is going to be a, a really dominant performance. Um, you know, some of the benchmarks of why we're in kind of ingrained in my predictions here. I think they're going to throw the ball really well. I think the defense is going to force turnovers. Um, I think they're going to run the ball pretty well too. I just think they're going to have more success throwing it. And ultimately I, I think this is a game where I don't necessarily disagree with Matt in terms of they might start out a little slow. Like I wouldn't be surprised if this is, tie game at the end of the first quarter or Oregon's up three points at the end of the first quarter. But I think they're going to build momentum here and pull away. And by the middle of the third quarter, there's not going to be any real question about the final outcome. And by the fourth quarter, you're going to see Ty Thompson out there in his home state getting an opportunity to lead the offense and kind of a pseudo added added, uh, prediction. I think he's going to throw a touchdown pass back in Arizona. I think that's going to be cool for him. And I'm sure a lot of family down there. So um, Oregon 4420 and they, set themselves up potentially to clinch a spot in the conference championship. We talked earlier in the week about what would need to take place for that to happen. You want to be a Husky fan this week, as hard as that sound, and you want to be Ute, Ute fans this week, which might be a little easier. Um, but I think there's a good chance that you come out of this one going like, okay, Oregon, Washington, part two. Let's see you in Vegas in a couple of weeks. You know, I thought about making my offensive team prediction, uh, seeing backups at the end of the game, but I don't know. That's really, I don't know. But anyways, uh, yeah, I know I got Oregon covering. I got this one as as, as a relatively, quote-unquote, easy victory for the Ducks, 42-17. Uh, to 17. So I think we're all in the same ballpark in our score predictions. Um, that would cover 25-point margin on a 23.5-point spread. So uh, hopefully I can add that next to my name on these weekly predictions for next week. But um, you know, for all the reasons that I've talked about on this podcast, like Oregon is obviously the, the far superior and more talented and, and better prepared team. Uh, Kenny Dillingham is certainly going to make it weird. He's going to try to make it funky. He's going to try to give a lot of different looks, things that Oregon has not seen on tape. Um, I think the difference with how they played uh, UCLA is that Oregon just has the better athletes. And in these situations, like a swinging gate, and I know that's on tape, so they might not use it as much, but getting to wherever the ball is thrown or if there's a rush up the middle. Um, I think Oregon is better equipped to deal with that on the fly than other teams. You look at Kyrie Jackson, Julia Florence, Taishim, Evan, uh, even Steve Stevens in the back end. Like Those are guys who can get to the ball at ease and get there and make a tackle all by themselves. So I think that's certainly helpful. Um, I'm excited to watch Scadaboo in person, future New England Patriot. Uh, can't wait to have him in New England, but uh, for now, I mean, he's just a hoot and a holler to watch. You know, he's uh, like Dan said, punt, pass, kick competition, and um, you know, I kind of want to throw some some extra money on a uh, non-quarterback to throw a t- passing touchdown this game. Um, so that could be my uh, bet of the week. 
but I, I think Oregon's defense is going to be fine. Um, I think ASU will put some points on the board. Um, it might honestly all be in the first half, but uh, I think that they'll have some success at points, but I think Oregon's defense is too good to let um, Trenton Borgay kind of control the game and let Scadaboo also control the game in the running department. And lastly, like I just have a hard time, despite as underrated or undervalued as I think Arizona State's defense is, I just have a hard time seeing anybody slow down this Oregon offense. Uh, they've scored 30 points in every single game this year, uh, even against the harshest competition in Utah. Um, you know, they still kind of dominated that game, at least offensively. They had some drives where they didn't score, but you know, that first half, they went down the field, they marched down the field, and they scored at will, basically. So I, I don't I don't see Arizona State's defense like putting up as big of a fight as Utah's defense. So I think it's going to be another 40-point outing. Uh, like I predicted, I think I think, I think think Nix is going to throw for another three touchdowns, add another one on the ground, then um, just add to his Heisman candidacy. And like Eric, I agree, it's going to be some Ty Thompson time down in the desert in November. So quality win for Oregon upcoming. Prop, prop bet for extra credit here. Um, okay. More touchdowns thrown in this game. Ty Thompson or ASU quarterbacks? That's a pretty good one, Matt. Um, Because ASU quarterbacks (laughs) have like six all year. Um, Yeah. I'll give ASU quarterbacks just because there's more opportunities. Yeah, it's more. It's 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 not even totally a sure thing. Ty Thompson even plays. So yeah, I'll go ASU quarterbacks. But that's a that's a good one. I'm not going to be surprised at all if there aren't any ASU quarterbacks touchdown passes because that's been the case many of these weeks. Borge has, I think, one passing touchdown all season. Uh, I'll be the opposite. I'll pick Ty Thompson. Just do it. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back Saturday night. Jared and I on the podcast from what is called Sun Devil Stadium. I can't remember what it's called now. They've got some marketing ploy there. But what in my head is called Sun Devil Stadium. Uh, Jared and I will have a post-game show up on the podcast from there. Uh, and until then, you've been listening to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.